0: Good evening. It's good to see all of you out this evening. We're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for tonight, as I mentioned this morning, we're skipping the word mother because we've already done that one. We did uh, those lessons for Mother's Day and we did fathers for Father's Day. So we're going to skip both of those lessons in this section. But we're going to the word marriage tonight. We're going to talk about the word marriage. It doesn't seem like that long ago that we did a series on marriage and Uh, It's been a few months now, but uh, some of these things may be a little bit familiar to you, maybe not. But as we look at the subject of marriage, we have to define what marriage is. Marriage is created and established by God. That's one of the first and foremost things that we need to understand about marriage is that it is established by God. It is defined in Scripture as between a man and woman. And really, God as well. When we look at marriage, it's important that God be involved in the marriage. If God has no part in the marriage, then the marriage is going to be very hard to keep up. It's going to suffer to a great deal. God has a a very important part in marriage as He created it. And we also understand that when we look at marriage, we have to know that marriage is for life. But not necessarily for eternity. Because we also understand from the teachings of Jesus that marriage is not something that is in heaven. But it is something on earth. But marriage is for a lifetime on earth. And when we see each other in heaven, we'll know each other. We just want to be married to one another. At least as far as Scripture presents it. We learn the most about marriage from the Bible because God is its originator and creator. Everything that He wants us to know about marriage is contained within His Word. Everything that He wants us to know about any subject is contained in His Word. We understand that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man may be thoroughly complete and equipped for every good work. That's First Timothy three, verse sixteen and seventeen. It may not be an exact quote, but we understand that everything that we need to know is in Scripture. Everything that surrounds the subject of marriage, events surrounding the first marriage and the great examples that follow, we have those to guide us in our understanding of what God wants marriage to be. His rules for marriage and the only valid reason for divorce and remarriage. And so we see that in Scripture as well. And we also see many marriages that faced difficulties and disagreements at time, not, not unlike the marriages that we see today. Though most of these continued, we learn important information in regard to avoiding the same problems. Uh, Most of these marriages, they did survive at least for a lifetime, but but some of them we see suffered a great deal as far as the relationship between husband and wife were concerned. We'll look at a little bit of those tonight. But our lesson objectives for this evening are, first of all, to learn from the examples of marriage given to us in Scripture. To learn from what We are taught in scripture about marriage. Uh, Learn what we need to know about marriage ourselves. And to apply what we learn to our marriages. Seeking to make them more of what God wants them to be. We want to please God in every aspect of our lives. and, And our marriages should be no different for those of us that are married. And for those that are not married. This lesson is still good for all of us as Christians. We are observing all that that we have been commanded. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, one of the things that the apostles were commissioned to do was to take the gospel into all the world. They were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were teach all to observe all the things that God commanded them. And this is one of the things that God commanded them in was marriage. And so they were commissioned to teach that. Teach all to observe it. And so even if we don't have a part, even if this doesn't play a personal role for us, it's something that we should observe and understand. And certainly want to add to our understanding of the subject from God's point of view. It is an important study just for future reference, just to To look at, it may be that that we need it one day. It it may be that that we experience these things. may not be. But at least we know what the Scriptures have to say in regard to the subject. And certainly when we look at the world, we see a world that is trying to change the meaning of marriage and and trying to change uh, how it is done. But this is something that God created. It's important. That we look to it as something that God created and make sure that our marriages are what God wants them to be. I like to begin just about any lesson. I like to look at examples because examples help us to to have a a good understanding of what we need to learn. it's, It's good to have the instruction in front of us, but it's also good to see examples of how these things came out And usually in marriage, we we usually begin with Genesis chapter 2. And tonight is going to be no different. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 2 with the beginning of marriage. And it's important that we go back to the beginning and we'll see that Jesus himself refers to the beginning of marriage as well. But in Genesis chapter 2, let's pick up with verse 18 since we read it in our scripture reading. We'll pick up with verse 18 this time. Genesis 2. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and of every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field, but for Adam. There was not a helper comparable to him. In verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone. The flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Before man had woman, he had man's best friend. He had the dog because he named the dog. He had other pets that we might see that, that keep us company. He had the company of all the animals. He wasn't completely alone. And, and as we see, he had a, a perfect relationship between himself and his father. But when God looked at man, he understood something that, that man didn't completely realize. Of all that man possessed, he lacked a helper, a helpmeet comparable to him. He had all kinds of animals, but they couldn't, they couldn't have that relationship with him that he needed. He needed someone that he could talk to, somebody that, that he could, could run ideas by, somebody that, that, that could keep him company, somebody that he could share a life with. And that's something that he did not have. And so God, seeing what was missing created woman from man's rib and joined the two together himself. The last couple of verses of Genesis chapter 2 I find to be probably the most interesting. First of all, verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Uh, A man is to to leave his former life with his, his family, with his parents, and he's to create a new life with his spouse. That's something that that I've learned from experience over the last few years, the importance of that and and what it really means. It's important that that he lead that life and that she lead that life and and that they be joined together, that they become one flesh. And it doesn't mean that, that obviously they're going to be melded together. But they start living life as one person. You share a bank account. You share a house. You share uh, a car. You share all these different things. You share life together. And the longer that you're married, the longer that you stay together, the more you understand what that means. Whenever uh, it comes time to make a decision about going somewhere, you consult your spouse. That's the way it should be. Because you're not living your own life anymore. You're living life for each other. And so it's very important to, when it comes to decision making, that you you work together as one person, that you do become one flesh. You share a name. That's one of the, the key things about marriage. And it's not as popular today with some, but, but we share a name because we become one. And so that's important. And also verse 25 is, a verse that we often overlook. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. They had no reason to be ashamed. Marriage was created in its perfect form between the two of them. Later they tried to cover themselves because they were ashamed and then it was rightly so that they were. But at this point, as they were created, they were not ashamed and there was no reason for them to be this marriage was formed perfectly by God and is referred to elsewhere in Scripture in just that way. Look at how Jesus referred to, or referred the Pharisees to the beginnings of marriage to answer their questions in Matthew 19, beginning with verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate, or let no man put his thunder, depending on what translation you use. And they wanted to take this a little bit further. Jesus answered perfectly. He took it all the way back to the beginning. This is what God created. This is what God made. This is what he wanted. This is how it was done. Well, well, what about Moses? Verse 7. Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of a divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Jesus here gave the only reason, the only scriptural reason for one to be divorced And be able to remarry. And that's for the cause of adultery. And it's on the victim's side. But Paul compared marriage to the church also. We read Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. And and it may be the opposite way for you. Whichever way you look at it. uh, Marriage to the church or the church to marriage. But Paul compared marriage to the church. And he taught about marriage and other letters also. Peter also gave command regarding marriage in First Peter chapter 3. And many preachers have shared these messages with the church and with the world time and time again. Marriage was perfect in design. And it was not until man brought sin into the world that marriage began facing the difficulties that we know of today. From the beginning, it was not so. From the beginning, marriage was created perfectly for man and woman. They complicated things by bringing sin. It is important that we recognize the beginning to fully understand how marriage was created and what God intended in its creation. We see other marriages throughout Scripture. And like I said, we've spent a good deal of time looking at some of these examples, so I won't go into them all. But I do want to look at a couple of different marriages, some that we can learn lessons from. First of all, Jacob. Jacob learned the result of tampering with God's design for marriage. Again, whenever we go back to the beginning, what was marriage created for? How was it created? It was created for man and woman. One man, one woman. And Jacob tampered with that design. Under extenuating circumstances, you may look at it that way, Jacob took responsibility for the first plural marriage, the first one with multiple spouses in Scripture. Turn with me to Genesis 29. Let's pick up reading at verse 15. Genesis 29 and verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob. "'Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? "'Tell me what should be your wages.' "'Now Laban had two daughters. "'The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. "'Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful in form, of form and appearance. "'Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, "'I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter.' Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Now I don't know if Laban had in mind that he was going to give Leah to him at the beginning of the seven years of service. Or maybe that was something that he came up with during the seven years sometime. But, but he... he he should have warned Jacob, and he didn't. He, he was deceitful. And in verse 21, says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to Jacob and, went, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Seems kind of interesting that Jacob was the one deceived. and Before he was a deceiver. In verse 26, Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn, Fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel, his wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. And Jacob also went into Rachel. He also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. He didn't have to wait another seven years to be able to marry Rachel. He was given her at the end of the week. As it is just said here, but he still continued to serve him. That was part of the agreement. And though it may sound fun to have multiple spouses or at least entertain the idea, it was not within God's design. And theirs was always strife. There was always strife between The two sisters who used Jacob as a sort of referee. Leah was always trying to prove herself before Jacob, trying to win his affection. Genesis 29 verses 31 and 32 we read, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. We well, see that Rachel envied her sister because she was barren and brought the matter to Jacob. Genesis 30, verses 1 and 2. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel and he said, Am I in the place of God who's withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Now, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. That was obvious and this was always a, a reason for discontent between the wives and as we see it was a recipe for an unhappy marriage in many degrees. Not to say that there was no happiness at all but, but times were difficult often so we see that Jacob complicated things by tampering with God's design. God's design was one woman for one man, and, and we had two women for one man, and, and it didn't work out perfectly as we might see that coming. We also see other marriages that, that suffered because of different things. Another one that I wanted to look at was David, David's unfaithfulness to his wives. And David was also involved in with in a relationship with multiple spouses. We read following Nabal's death in 1 Samuel chapter 25 in verses 39 through 44. And David sent and proposed to Abigail. Remember that Nabal was was very harsh with David. And he wouldn't help him, he wouldn't give him any food, and David David got mad and he was going to kill him, and Abigail made peace between them. And all died. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. She had treated him with kindness and, and we can see where, where this would be a desired thing. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. And verse 42, so Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Paltai, the son of Laish, who was from Galilee. Michael was forced to return to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, in a covenant between the houses of David and Saul, though it was not exactly a happily ever after for them, as we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6. But then after we read of of these different wives, we see Abigail, we see Henewam, and we see Michael. And then we see David's sin. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. And it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. And it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him. And he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David. And said. I am with child. David was already married. Multiple times in fact. And though David had wives of his own. Lust led him to adultery. The wife that wasn't his. The wife of Uriah. This led to other sins as well. David was also led to lying, to deceit. Ultimately, he had Uriah placed on the front line of battle and he was just as guilty of murder because of what he had done. All this was done in an effort to cover up his sins although he realized later that that was an impossibility because of David's sin the child conceived between himself and Bathsheba also died as a consequence Bathsheba became the wife of David but at what cost I'm sure that that was something that that plagued David for the rest of his days on earth how he had sinned, not just against his own wives or against Bathsheba but how he had sinned against God David had a lot of responsibility in what he had done. Bathsheba was also guilty to some degree but David was the king he, he could have set a good example he, he, he should have known better but, but he went through with, with what he wanted to do from these examples, just these three that we've looked at tonight, we learned that marriage was created perfect in the beginning between a woman and a man. And that's the way marriage should be today. And we see the problems are the result when we tamper with God's design for marriage. He designed it exactly the way it needed to be. And to change that would not be, not be right We also learned that sins such as lust can lead to many problems in a marriage relationship, up to and including adultery, which is a very difficult thing for a relationship to overcome. It's not to say that that it's impossible, but it is a different it's a difficult thing to deal with. Many marriages end because of that. But you know, we also have some good examples of marriages in scripture as well. There are some in the Old Testament, I, I think, of Ruth and Boaz, though so we don't know a lot about them. We can tell that they had at least a good beginning to their marriage. Esther and and king, they, they had a, a pretty good marriage too, to some degree, but, but we see that they had some, some difficulties to overcome as well. But One of the, the greatest marriages that I can think of in Scripture, and, and one of the first ones that came to my mind, was the marriage of Aquila and Priscilla. I think this marriage sets a high standard for marriages today. There were a lot of good things that were said about them. As a matter of fact, we we don't read of anything negative in regard to these two. We don't read a whole lot, but what we do read is very important. Although we are told little about them, what little we are told matters greatly. First of all, they were always mentioned together. Uh, That's not to say that they were always together in everything, but but they were together a whole lot, and that makes for a a good marriage. Uh, When you spend time with your spouse, that's a good thing. And so it was for them. And, And not only did they spend time together, but they worked together. Not only as tent makers, as we read in Acts chapter 18 and verse 3, but also they assisted one another in the work of the church. Both helped to teach Apollos what he needed to know about baptism for the remission of sins, as we read in Acts 18 and verse 26. What difficulties that we read of that they faced, they faced together, such as fleeing Rome together in Acts chapter 18 and verse 2. And they did not allow it to hinder their ministry to the church. There's a lot to be said for the marriage of Aquila and Priscilla. As we close our lesson, I want us to to look at some of the commands regarding marriage. Because it is also important that we understand what God has commanded. Let's look first at 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Here we read of Peter's exhortation regarding marriage. He says here in verse 1 of chapter 3, Wives likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. In verse 7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a story of, of this being studied in a class setting. and One gentleman spoke up as the, the subject was announced and, and the scriptures were announced, and he said, look, there's six verses devoted to wives and, and how they should act, and there's only one verse devoted to husbands. An older gentleman spoke up and said, And how many of us husbands can live up to that one verse? Much to be said about that. Wives are to be submissive to their own husbands, but husbands are not to force them into submission. It's something that that is brought in as as they are kind and as they, they deal kindly with their wife. Wife desires to be submissive. It's the same way with God. We're to be submissive to God, but God doesn't force us to be submissive. He wants us to love Him. He gives us His Word and everything that we need. But it is our choice to be submissive unto Him. Wives are told about their conduct and how they should dress and and all these good things and and what they can do for the marriage and for their example to other women around them. And then husbands are told in verse 7, dwell with them with understanding. We may not completely understand everything that a wife is thinking or desiring but we try we dwell with them with understanding we give honor to them as to the weaker vessel it doesn't necessarily mean that the woman is the weaker vessel Uh, whether you look at it from a spiritual standpoint or a physical standpoint it doesn't really matter but we treat her as if she is the weaker vessel we treat her with honor, with love, and with respect. And as being heirs together, the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Have a disagreement with your spouse. It's hard to pray, isn't it? We need to dwell with them in peace. And as we give honor and As we keep this marriage the way that God wants it to be, our prayers are not hindered in that respect. We read of Paul's exhortations as well. In answer to questions submitted to Paul in letter form, 1 Corinthians 7, beginning with verse 1, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Come together again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as command, for I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Paul's opinion was that, that he didn't need to be married, and, and if he could stay single, if he could, could remain in that, that, that relationship with God, that he could devote more time and, and more service to God, that he could do better in that, that regard. But yet marriage was something that God created and he honored that. He observed it. Even though he didn't participate in it himself, he observed it as he should. And so he does give command in regard to marriage. Although it is not a command. It is something that is necessary, something good for marriages. But it's not something that we have to participate in. We also read of Paul's comparison to, of marriage to the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, we won't read the whole thing, but verse 22. Lives submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 28, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. you ever been sick? It's not a good feeling. And certainly we wouldn't want to subject our, our own bodies to harm in any way. And it's the same way with our spouse. Husbands, when it comes to wives, we don't want them to be subject to harm. And so we we protect them as best we can. When we look at, at how Christ had a relationship with the church, He died for the church. He loved the church so much that He gave Himself for her. And husbands be willing to do that also. And wives, as they love you and as they respect you and as they honor you, be submissive unto them just as Christians are to the Lord as He is the head of the church. It is suggested that many passages that are written maybe not about marriage can have good counsel for those who are married. A couple that stand out in my mind Matthew 7, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. We treat each other with kindness. And as we want someone to do something to us, so we do it unto them. We want someone to treat us with kindness, we treat them with kindness. And it's a two-way street. And it's the same way in marriage. If we want our marriages to work, we want our spouse to, to be kind to us, to be kind to them. And it can go on in many different situations, but it's a good, good thing for us to remember the golden rule in marriage just as well as it is with any relationship. And also Matthew 22 and verses 37 to 39, Jesus gives what we refer to as the greatest command. Jesus said in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And so it is to be in marriage. No matter what it is, we put God first. God is our priority and we serve Him before we serve each other. And so we love God. We love Him with all of our being. And the second is like it in verse 39. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And neighbor also includes our spouse. And so as we love other people in the world, those that we come in contact with on a daily basis, our friends and family, all those are our neighbors. But so also are our spouses. And so we love them just as we would anyone else. As we look at marriage, it's important for us to understand it as it is presented by God because we, again, we see the world, and we see a great many times where our world has tried to change the definition of marriage. We see people that are legally married that are not married in God's eyes for one reason or another. We see those that that call man with man and woman with woman marriage, and that's not to be the case either. It's very important that we see how God designed marriage. He designed it perfectly. And for us to try to change that would be wrong. It's meant for one woman and one man. And it's meant to be with God in mind. I hope that that our marriages are are the way that they should be if if we're married and if if we're not. I hope we're faithful Christians. I don't know what your life is like. I don't know of your relationship with with God or Christ. I do know that if you're not a Christian, that you're not one of His own. You're not a child of His. And so, if you've not obeyed the Gospel, then we give you that opportunity if you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you need to come and rededicate your life to Him. If you need to ask for prayers on your behalf or forgiveness or, or if there's some way that we can help you. And we stand ready to do so. Together we stand, and as we sing, the song of invitation.